0: Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey.
1: I'm excited to be joined by Valerie Growth in episode 29 of the Creative Giant Show. Before entering the world of entrepreneurship, Valerie Groth was a school social worker in the inner-city schools of Chicago. Her dual master's degrees in social work and educational leadership helped her work with students in crisis, providing individual and group counseling services to students dealing with abuse, neglect, violence, hunger, and mental illness. She also worked to provide immediate psychiatric hospitalization for students who were suicidal or homicidal. After her work with students in crisis, Val started the life coaching practice she currently runs. She works with clients around the world on overcoming fear, gaining self confidence, and making massive positive transformations in their lives. Valerie also hosts the Inspiration with Val podcast, which is a top ranked podcast on iTunes that is based on inspirational interviews with individuals from all walks of life, ranging from millionaire entrepreneurs to cancer survivors to award-winning authors and pro athletes. The Inspiration with Val podcast has received over 140,000 unique downloads per month from listeners in over 130 countries. Val's newest project is to build Chicago's first boarding school for inner-city students. The Ryan Banks Academy, named after one of her former students who was shot and killed, will open its doors in time for the 2018-2019 school year and seeks to impact the lives of students through a rigorous college and career preparatory education, a supportive boarding program, and a focus on personal development in a positive environment. Val, thanks so much for the work that you do in the world and for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much. It's great to be here
1: let's go back to beginnings. Origin stories are always the, the fun part of this. So tell us how you got started on this crazy road of life coaching and you know, getting started with the Ryan Banks Academy and all the other great things you're involved in.
0: Yeah, great question. Um, I love hearing those stories too. So I'll be happy to go down that road. So I guess if we went back a long time ago, back to my childhood, um, because I do think it's really relevant to my story, I was a really nervous, fearful kid. And that's probably exaggerating. You know, I wasn't i wasn't miserable or sad all the time. Um, I did well in school. I had one good friend. Um, I didn't have, like, a massive group of friends or wasn't really popular. But I was just kind of very fearful about the world. And I didn't know how to take risks, and I was constantly nervous and worried. And I, I, I carried that into adulthood. And it wasn't until – um, I guess I was in around college when I started to do some things to bring myself out of my shell and to take bigger risks. And the one thing that I think was very much kind of the catalyst for my big change, which sounds kind of cliche, um, because there's so many metaphors around this idea to begin with. But it was running a marathon. And so when I was a little kid, I was you know not athletic and always a scrawny, skinny kid, and always got picked last for gym class, which is not good for your self esteem, as you can imagine. And I couldn't run to save my life. I mean, I was a kid that I would always want to stay home sick on the mile day in gym class. And I just felt so unaccomplished and so far behind my peers. And so when I was in college, I learned to train um, and that I could actually run. So one day, I just kind of up and ran seven miles. And it was this huge, huge moment in my life. And I thought, holy cow, what can I do next? I never would have thought I could do seven miles you know, what's the next step? So then I signed up for a half marathon and then of course a marathon and the rest is history. And I think that was just the big pivotal moment for me that showed me that there are so many things in the world that I never thought I could do that are actually very much in my power and within my sphere of things that I'm, I'm capable of doing if I put my mind to them. So I don't know if that answers your question or not, but that's kind of what I think of when I think of myself as a kid was just that I was very different in a lot of ways and who I am now. And there was a lot of similarities too um, that we could talk about. But it was just, um, you know, it's interesting seeing those two different sides to me. So that's kind of why I love working as a coach and many reasons, just like a health coach who has lost a lot of weight. I'm not a life coach who has always been someone who's really confident and empowered and assertive, but I really had to train myself and to do the work and put in a lot of energy and time to get where I am today.
1: You mentioned that there were some things that, that started to pull you out of that, that nervous, fearful shell. Um, can you give us an idea of like what were some of those catalytic moments for you in, in that phase of, of your life?
0: I mean, the marathon was definitely the, the big thing. And so that's that's a very physical change, but uh, anyone who runs marathons knows that it's very, very mental as well. So you really put in so much of yourself into that um, that training process and then walking or running across the finish line um, you realize so many things about yourself and what you're capable of doing. So that was the the big one that started a lot of things off. Um, and then I started to change a lot more mentally and emotionally and internally. And, you know, there's little things and there's big things. Another big thing that I did was I eventually got divorced. And that was something that at the time was a really difficult thing to do and something I had, um, you know, kind of had the – the thought that that was something I needed to do for a couple of years, and I think had I not made those initial changes, um, I wouldn't have been in the place to do that properly. So just doing a lot of things to stand up for myself and to be assertive for what I need and my value in the world, as opposed to letting someone else tell me you know, what I was worth in their eyes. So it was leaving a difficult relationship where I wasn't necessarily being treated properly, um, you know, working in a really difficult field, um, going to grad school twice, um, doing a lot of those things that I think the little kid inside of me never really thought would have been possible.
1: Yeah, the reason I ask that is because when we look at the stories of our past, there are these big catalytic moments, the marathon, the divorce, so on and so forth. But when we look at the day-to-day evolution of ourselves, a lot of times it's the small things that start adding up, right? Um, you You take a class here that pushes your boundaries, you meet this person that that encourages you to grow in certain ways and things like that, that all together lead up to these big tipping points. So there's tipping and stepping. And so I like to hear the story about the stepping points. It's just as much as the tipping points too, you know? Mm-hmm. Alrighty. So you get out of school and you take your first job. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. So, um, well, <laughs> there is. There was a couple of little short-term jobs in between, but the one where I spent a lot of time was I worked in the inner city schools here in Chicago um, as a school social worker. So that was providing individual and group counseling, um, working with children, teens, families. And that was in very many ways, I mean, exactly what I wanted to do. So I had studied social work and psychology and I thought my calling in life was just to help people, which is funny because when I was a kid, Um, I think before, I guess, you know, going back even further before all those insecurities hit, when I was a very young child, I really wanted to be an entrepreneur and I wanted to innovate and have ideas and create things and help the world in that way. And then I kind of fell away from that. I didn't really know how to go down that road and I didn't know how to be an entrepreneur. So that's how I fell into social work and psychology. So in that role – I worked with all these kids and their families in really difficult situations, and I loved it. And it was very much kind of my calling in life for the time when I was there. Um, but it was really tough. So you're working with kids who are dealing with abuse and neglect, um, kids who are exposed to violence in their home, violence in the neighborhood, a lot of crisis work around you know children and their families who um, you know are killed, kids who are suicidal, kids who are homicidal, getting them psychiatric placement. Um, A lot of very risky (laughs) situations um, that I was in from time to time. So, you know, I loved that work for a lot of reasons. But one thing that I started to notice um, is that when I looked at what's really important for me and my core values, one of my values is that I really, really need to see results. And all my other values were being met. So I was helping people and I was being of service and I was making a difference. Uh, But those were kids who were so hard off in so many ways that they were often making more steps back than steps forward. And I just felt like in that setting, I couldn't do as much that I, I guess I couldn't make the difference that I wanted to make. And so that's kind of when I knew that I wanted to step into the coaching world, um, but always knew that I would have to come back to that world of helping kids in some way.
1: How did you stumble upon the life coaching pathway?
0: You know what? Like a lot of people, um, I think I had kind of been coaching for a long time (laughs) and didn't really realize what it was. Uh, I think a lot of people kind of fall into that world because they they realize that they're that person at a party when you are talking to strangers and they're spilling their life story. Um, But I think, you know, coming from the mental health world, it really made the transition a lot easier for me. And one thing that I think is really a strength of mine that I have now is that I can merge those two worlds of therapy and coaching. And I think where a lot of people get tripped up is, you know, therapy is fantastic, but it has a lot of limitations that I see in the way that it helps you get from dysfunction to function and it can, you know, kind of get you to a place where you're surviving, but it doesn't take you from surviving to thriving. And coaching is able to do that. It's okay, what can we do to move you past where you are now? So we're not just rehashing what's going on, but we're moving forward and taking action. But on the other hand, I feel like where I see one problem with coaches sometimes is that they don't spend a lot of time with that mindset piece and really talking about limiting beliefs. So it's all let's move forward and not figure out why you're getting stuck, in which case then I think you sometimes fall back into those same habits. So I think it was just kind of a natural transition for me in some ways to fall into coaching.
1: So give us a timestamp. When did you um, officially start coaching?
0: I've been officially coaching for probably about three and a half years so far.
1: What were some of the major lessons learned in the first two years of of your venture?
0: You know, there are lessons every day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. So many lessons. And that's what's so so interesting. And I mentioned I, w- I always wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was a little kid. And I think when you go into entrepreneurship and you think of what's so appealing, and it's, you know, I want the freedom, I want the independence to design my own world. And not just my own schedule. I think a lot of people are drawn to that. Oh, I get to make my own schedule. Um, but it's not just that. You know, you, you're designing your own schedule, but you're typically working – much longer hours than you would at a nine-to-five, you know. And, you know, I was drawn to the idea of the creativity and the the luxury of kind of designing things that would stimulate my own challenges and would allow me to feel like I'm growing and thriving. But that is is really difficult to do when you're growing a business. So for me, it was – um You know, I didn't have any business experience. So I think going into something like coaching, a lot of people fall into coaching because they have those people skills. They have the interpersonal skills and they're very perceptive and they can help their clients really well. But I didn't have any experience doing things like selling and marketing and, you know, how to put together um, an actual business that is financially stable, which is, you know, a whole different world compared to
1: coaching. Let's dig in a little bit there. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things. I, I'm doing what I do as a, you know, both an entrepreneur and as business advisor We we kind of know the landscape, but. It's sometimes helpful to reveal that. So I mean, everything from pricing to sales to, I imagine, as a life coach, that general sort of like, what's a life coach? What does that mean? Do? <laughs> <laughs> right? Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> All those different types of things. Like which which of those things were really that like? Mm, I'm gonna have to work. Like that's not easy for me because you're cl- you're clearly charismatic. You clearly care. You got a lot of the a lot of the right stuff when it goes to that. Right. Um, and sometimes, you know, especially if you've gone to grad school a couple times and you've you've, co- you've been accomplished, going in and starting your own business or your own new venture um, can be really challenging because you realize how much you don't know.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lots of things that you just talked about. Um, for one. Yeah. The term life coach. I'm still not down with that. I, I'm waiting for there to be a better way to describe what I do um, because I feel like life coach implies that you're an expert in life. And like we were talking before we hit record, you know I'm really, really good at helping my clients with where they're getting stuck. and I have this fantastic sense of intuition where I kind of know what's going on before they know what's going on. but I'm still human and I still have my own issues and my own hangups, which is why I have my own coach, right? So that is part of it is that the idea of being a life coach is still kind of this crazy newfangled thing, right? And, and you're in California, I think, right? Oregon. Or Oh, that's right. You're in Portland. Well, and even Portland. So I feel like on the West Coast, you guys are a lot more progressive when it comes to the coaching world. (laughs) But I'm here in the Midwest, and a lot of my friends and family have no idea what I do and probably think it's still kind of like this fad, trendy thing. Um, And, you know, another challenge that I faced – well, first of all, you mentioned that I went to school um, (laughs) multiple times. And that's one trap that I think so many people fall into is they want to – they feel like they constantly have to keep getting degrees and get certifications to feel like they're qualified to go and do something. And one of the things that I found was that when it comes to starting your own business, there comes a point where you have to stop doing the research um, and just get out there and take action. And so that was definitely – Tough for me because I was always someone who wanted to, you know, feel totally prepared and have all of the knowledge in front of me before making that leap. But you kind of have to leap and learn as you go and then make tweaks, you know. Um, And the other big one was for me it was really, really, really hard to charge for my services. So there's a reason for that. A lot of women in general, I think, have an issue with sales. And I know this because I have so many friends who are female entrepreneurs. Um, And, you know, there's some level it comes from you knowing your worth and feeling like you are valuable, and that's another piece. For me, it was coming from the world of being a social worker. You are very much kind of impressed upon this is your calling in life to serve people, and you do it with no expectation of financial reward. And, you know, social workers are the ones who are going out and feeding the poor and working at very low-paying jobs, working long hours, um, you know, being on a call over the weekend for when you have a suicidal kid. And so it was a totally different frame of mind for me to shift into coaching where I had to charge for my money I charge for my time. Um, so that was a huge, huge challenge. It, I mean, probably the biggest that I faced um, and one that took me a really long time to really kind of get past that. Um, there's different ways that I did that, and one of the ways was I think I realized, one, that I do offer a lot of value. And I, I, once I could kind of see the results that my clients were having in their life and I saw these big transformational moments, I could say, okay, well, I, I, I can charge those prices because they're getting so much value. Um, And the second piece behind that was that I realized through trial and error that when you're charging someone for your services, they're more invested than if you're giving it away for free or low cost. So it wasn't so much that, you know, I, I wanted to charge a certain rate because I wanted to have that income. But it was, I know my clients are more invested at this rate than if they were getting free coaching. And I'm sure you've seen the same thing in your business as well. So that was by far one of the biggest things for me was just how to shift away from this mindset that I have to help people and I'm here as a social worker to help the world and do whatever I can and just give and give and give to how can I actually build a business and, and charge for what I do.
1: Yeah, the last thing about pricing is very tricky. A few years ago, I wrote um, a series of posts called The Three P's of Pricing, and I called one of the P's the placebo effect. You know, it's not quite the right word, but um, it's close in the sense that, you know, people will, if if you were to do the same thing with someone for X and do the same thing with someone for 3X in many cases, the people are far more committed and they give far better results with the 3X, even though it's the same thing. Um, and it's because of the story that they tell themselves and their level of commitment. And that's a really, really hard one to learn. And it's also, especially if you're coming from a real service-based mindset, it's also one that can be challenging because um, it's one of those where we recognize how much in the marketing world that that's gained, right? Um, and that just, you know, people put ridiculous prices to get people ridiculously committed and all sorts of different things like that. But there's this very real thing to where you're always trying to figure out, like, what's that right point of level of intensity and level of commitment, so on and so forth. It takes a while, as what I'm saying. It takes a while, and there's no seven steps to find the right price type of thing that you can do with that one.
0: Fortunately, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unfortunately. When I come up with that, I'll sell it for Read big money. Read your
0: article. That'll be the first step.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um,
0: those seven steps.
1: What lights you up about the, the coaching work that you do?
0: Such a fun question. You know, I just, I really, I think it goes back to me as a kid and that I didn't really know how to follow my passions. You know, and I, I had these ideas when I was a little kid and they got put aside and they got kind of stifled by, you know, schooling and other kids who put you down. And then as you get older, your you know, your own limiting beliefs and the stories that you tell yourself. And, you know, I just, I don't know where that really came from aside from my own experience, but I love nothing more than helping someone to get inspired and to see what's possible. And I've always loved that. I mean, when I worked in the schools, that was my favorite thing to do with the kids It was not actual therapy, but, like, let's talk about where you want to be in 10 years. Like, I got so fired up doing that and taking the kids on field trips to visit colleges, and those were kids who have never been out of their neighborhood, never visited downtown Chicago, even though they lived two miles away, definitely never been out of the state or visited an actual university you know, taking them to to places where they could speak um, to individuals from different careers and they can get inspired to what's possible for them. Um, that's always, always been just what I love to do. And, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine anything more fun in this world, you know. it's You get to help other people. And I think that there's so many people walking through life and they're not living a life that they love. And that sounds so cliché. You know, but I think the majority of people, I know I've heard you say in your podcast, what are the stats? Like 85% of us hate our job. Um, a lot of people are living in the wrong relationship. They're not in a body that is healthy and that gives them energy. And above all, their mindset is just in terrible shape. You know, they're constantly saying negative things to themselves and they, they're filled with worry and regret and fear. And that fear is stopping them from doing things that could not only impact them, And make their life more meaningful and fulfilling but really impact the lives of those around them as well. And so to me, I just – I love being on that mission of hopefully inspiring and helping people to be their best self knowing that it's not a selfish thing. And I think, you know, back in the day when our grandparents were alive, I think that was kind of a selfish thing to want fulfillment – but now we know better and we're in a day, an, an age in this world where you can do whatever you want and you really can kind of create this life that you love. Um, and knowing that it's not a luxury and it's not selfish because you being your best self is then going to help so many people around you. You know, and it's not just, you know, your husband or your wife or your clients, but, you know, you are your your next door neighbor who sees you and is inspired to take action and to do something similar. And I think it has this great domino effect and really just kind of carries out into the world. So yeah, I love it. It's so much fun.
1: Yeah, you know, we live in wonderful times because there are now these pathways open for people to be entrepreneurs if they so choose to be. Um, The barrier to entry is really, really low. The tools are available. Um, It takes courage, but that's okay, right? Um, There are a lot of fantastic tools to connect with the right employed job out there, right? Um, there's so many great nonprofits, and so just the communication technologies that that are powering the different ways we can choose are just are mind-boggling. And you mentioned like for our grandparents and things like that. The they just didn't have the options in a lot of ways. Um, you know, you couldn't be talking to someone who's, you know, in Chicago um, while you're in Portland talking about things like this or interviewing, you know, video interviewing for a company that's in Croatia that's the right fit for you or all the different things available. So, you know, just what I want to slide in here because we, we talk to a lot of different peoples and, and there's such a um, pro-entrepreneur bias, you know, um, from some of us, but I'm just saying that, like... The beauty of the world is not that it's a ripe time for entrepreneurship. The beauty of the time is that it's a ripe time for us all to be able to create the way that most helps us thrive.
0: Yeah, and and what I see too, a lot of people who don't necessarily want to become an entrepreneur or aren't there yet, I think there's so many ways of integrating things in your life that you do get lit up over and that do get a chance to help the world and allow you to express your creativity. In other ways. I mean, I have clients who they're building a side business or even just a blog because that gives them that outlet and allows them to feel fully expressed. um, And that gets them closer to their authentic self. So you don't have to quit your job and be an entrepreneur to do things that you love and to have an impact on the world. And like you said, there's so many ways of doing that these days that there's just no excuse. You know, Whatever it is that's important to you there's always a way of fitting that into your life and if you don't know how you know reach out to someone and there's so many people willing to help you and great services out there um but yeah i think there's there's very few limitations these days
1: all right so you're growing your life coaching business you kick off the inspiration with val podcast and it's killing it, just doing fantastic work there and then you get this other wild idea <laughs> um, let's start an academy. Let's start, you know, the Ryan Banks Academy, um, to provide, you know, the first boarding school for inner city students in Chicago. How do we get there, Val?
0: <laughs> yeah. What was I thinking, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was an idea I had for a very long time. And because starting a school is a very big undertaking, yes. I always thought <laughs> <laughs> that, I would do this one day, you know, 10 years from now. And I kind of always had this 10-year idea, you know, so three years ago I was like, well, 10 years from now. And then a year ago, okay, well, 10 years from now. And then you kind of realize that 10 years from now is never going to be a good time. And what was really the the big thing that pushed me was actually last summer at World Domination Summit, which you were at. So were you at Michael Hyatt's speech? I was not. Oh, well, you missed a really good one. So Michael talked a lot about um, <clears throat> some really great, th- great things overall. Um, but one of the things he said that really stuck out to me was he said that he consulted with an actuary before his talk. And the actuary said that within the audience of about 2,000 of us, and most of us were kind of, you know, in the, in the frame of young individuals. So accounting for age and how many of us were there, one of us would die within 30 days. And then he went on to give the stats for, you know, the next 30 days and the next two years. And the way that he said that, and we all know life is short and yada, 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 right? But the way that he phrased it really just hit me like a wall of bricks. And I'll never forget where I was sitting, you know, when he said that and how that made me feel. And I just kind of realized I have to do something about this. And it's really never going to be a good time. And the thing about building a boarding school Or even building a school. And a boarding school is probably 20 times harder than building a regular school. So doing something like that, you never have all of the tools in your toolbox. And that's hard for me to to accept even today because I want to have all those tools and I want to be a perfectionist and know what to do. But it's such a big endeavor that it's never one person that knows what to do. And I have a degree in educational leadership. So, you know, I've worked in schools. Um, I have the background to do a lot of this. But there's no one person out there that can build a school by themselves, you know? So it's very much just about realizing what you know and what you don't know and bringing in a lot of other people to help you. Um, So that's kind of how it got started is it was always a big dream and something I wanted to do. And I finally decided to take action about 10 months ago.
1: So the creative person in you and the life coach in you is gonna hate this question, (laughs) but I'm gonna ask it nonetheless. Let's imagine it's 2018. Um, Ryan Banks Academy is opening and things are going there and it just is taking a lot of work and leadership and a lot of intense energy. And let's imagine that your life coaching business is getting to the point to where it's taking a lot of growth and energy and leadership and you've got to make a choice. Um, Which one would you go with and why?
0: Mm. Oh, what a hard question. (laughs) What a hard question. You know what, though? At the same time, it's not its not hard in the way that um, – I, I don't – you know, I'm not here to run the school. Um, the way that I see it is I'm here to make it happen. And, you know, right now I'm at the point where I'm doing a lot of the legwork. Um, not all of it by any means. I have a co-founder. I have a great team of board members and volunteers, and they're fantastic. Um, but, you know – it's very much, um, like I said, bringing together the right people and putting in the right scaffolding and structure to make this happen. Um, and so just like a lot of individuals who've done something like this before, I see my job as just doing whatever I can, facilitating the back end work and putting in the right people in place to help kind of carry this vision on, you know, and I'm, I want to be involved as long as I can. But my mission is not because I I, I want to have, like, my name on the school. It's not about me. I just want it to be in existence. You know, so a big part of the process is going to be hiring the right people to help us get this together, you know, because I do have a full-time business that I love. And, you know, I don't want to give that up. Um, And I totally believe that you can have those different things going on simultaneously, um, I know a lot of people who have done that before, have had one business and they still have their passion project in a totally different field. And what I'm doing, you know, those two worlds are very different in a lot of ways. But they're also kind of not in the way that, to me, it's still just helping people to be their best self and giving them the most opportunities and all of those protective factors they need to be in the best social, emotional, um, you know, the life skills, the academics um, just the best shape that they can be to make their biggest mark on the world. So, you know, if I had to choose, you know, in terms of where I put my energy and attention, um, I think I'll always be more of on the entrepreneur side because I don't think I'm best served to really be, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to be the principal of the school. I had that degree. I could do that. Um, but I want to find the most qualified individuals to do that for me. Um, and just make sure that this happens and then you know if we see the need um, and the market is looking for something then expanding into other municipalities as well Um, but for now it's just very much how can we bring this to fruition in Chicago and that's putting together a lot of the right people to make it happen
1: I appreciate you answering the question because I'm like oh she's going to do the thing where she's gonna say I don't have to choose right but I, I do appreciate you uh, making the choice. I'm not saying that you will have to. I, I fundamentally believe there's a third option um, where you can make it work. Um, what what I imagine is going to happen is it's going to be that third option comes out in time slices to where there might be a four-month campaign where you're putting something together for the, for, for the academy, um, and that's your baby for a little bit, and then you go back to the business and things like that. Because that's what I've seen happen more. It's not – I mean, people are able to do both or many different things, but, you know – um, getting getting the first academy opened in Chicago that's one big milestone spreading that across two or three different cities that's another one and you can kind of see how that's going to go
0: yeah and that's exactly right is that's how that's why I think it can be done is I don't try and you know schedule my days so it's like four hours of business and four hours of writing things it's you know it's just you kind of go in cycles And there are lulls where my business, um, I'm not heavily marketing and I just have my current clients and I'm in between launches, so I have more time for Ryan Banks Academy and vice versa. You know, with Ryan Banks Academy, there's so many things going on that are outside of me that I'm waiting on, waiting on the attorney, waiting on documents, waiting on the team. Um, And so I have more downtime there and then I'm focused more on my business. So Yeah, it's just kind of not expecting a perfect balance and uh, having a great passion for both things. I think is is just what's really important. And when you have that, you know, I don't, I'm not, I never get bored of either part of what I do because I'm just so in love with the coaching and so in love with the idea of bringing this facility to, to Chicago. And I think that both are really, really important to me. So I don't see either part kind of getting pushed to the side, but it's a great question for sure.
1: For people listening who aren't from Chicago, but are interested in supporting what's happening with the Ryan Banks Academy. um, What could they do to to reach out and help her? What do you guys need?
0: Oh, thank you for asking. Um, We do have a website, but at the time of this recording, it's basically only a landing page. But if you go to RyanBanksAcademy.org, you can put in your email and get on a list so that we can tell you when we have big things coming up. For example, we are hoping to have a Kickstarter um, hopefully by this fall, um, but we'll see how that goes. And if you have any questions for me, I would love to talk to you personally, and my email is Valerie at inspirationwithval.com. Aside from, of course, donations, um, which is going to be a huge part, you know, we can use help from anybody and everyone out there. You know, we're always looking for people who want to help Spread the word, Um, if you want to help tweet about things or you want to be a volunteer. We need individuals from business, education, architecture, um, you know, marketing, event planning, um, you know, someone who can make connections for us in the community. And our current team members are actually from all around the country, which is really cool. So it's not just people here in Chicago, but we're here in Chicago. We're all around the country. We even have three international volunteers Which is, I think, really exciting and I think shows um, how much this really resonates with a lot of people. And one thing that I don't know, um, unless you mentioned in the intro, but the school is being named after Ryan Banks, who was one of my former students, who was shot and killed a few years ago. Um, So that's kind of a big part of what this is all about. And Ryan was, of course, just one of many students um, here in Chicago who had that kind of unfortunate fate. Um, but that's a big part of kind of what drives us. And a lot of people have really kind of fallen in love with um what we're trying to do and they want to be a big part of it, which is really great.
1: What have been some of the um lessons that you've learned from starting the Ryan Banks Academy?
0: Mm. You know, it, a good lesson I've learned um is absolutely that you really have to just get out there and talk about your idea. And like I mentioned, I had the idea in my head for a very long time. And in my head, I knew why it was a good idea. But of course, in my head, there was all of these crazy devil's advocate. Well, you couldn't do that or it wouldn't work. And so when you start to get it out there into the world, you know, people really kind of came to came to us and were just so intrigued and so fascinated by what we're trying to do and you know, formerly I think I would have thought, well, I don't want to ask for help. and I don't want to ask for volunteers because people are so busy and no one wants to get hit up like that. But what was really cool about Ryan Meg's Academy is when I first started to talk about it, people came to me and said, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity for getting involved. I've been wanting to do something like this for so long, and I'm so honored to be a part of it. So honestly, that's not um, a negative lesson like I would have done something differently but that's the biggest lesson for me is just that i you know i wouldn't be here and this wouldn't be possible it would not be possible at all had i kept the idea in my head or if i had put it out there and no one had come and said i want to be a part of this too because it's not a one person job but you know it was really amazing to me how many people came out of the woodwork and said i love this idea thank you so much for letting me be a part of it so i think whether you have a good idea and it's for a nonprofit or a book or an event, you know, get it out there and be proud of it and just talk it up and the right people will come to your aid.
1: What's the most unanticipated challenge that you're currently facing?
0: Hmm. Um, I mean, you know, I, honestly, the biggest challenge is, you know, the, the source of funding. So to build a school is going to cost uh, many, many millions of dollars. And to build a boarding school is it kind of it comes with a lot of challenges that a traditional school doesn't have, and of course we can do a lot of great things that another a regular school can't do, um, but it's much more expensive, and there are not a lot of models in the U.S. where they have independent boarding schools that are here serving inner city youth. So when you look at the current models that do exist, they're all funded totally different. So there are schools out there that are just funded by an organization. So there's a school in Essie's Park called Eagle Rock, and they're funded by Honda. There is Hershey School in Pennsylvania, and they are fully funded by Hershey. And yeah, there are other schools, like the Seed Schools in D.C., and they work with legislation to get funding from the state. So for us, there's not necessarily one model that we're looking at and saying, well, we want to be like this school, um, because so many of those things are kind of to be determined based on what happens during those next steps. So that's kind of the biggest challenge right now is – Just figuring out where we're going to be getting the funding, you know, how much of it is coming from grants, how much of it is coming from a corporation. Um, In an ideal world, we would love to be like the Honda schools or the Hershey schools and just have one amazing corporation pick us up and say, we believe in this and we're going to fully fund your mission. Um, but, you know, we can't necessarily rely on that. So it's also doing things like working with legislation and getting private donations and grants and trying to do all of those different things at once and see what works. What
1: mindset or limiting belief, um, are you aware of that, that most needs to be tweaked for you right now? Um, I know life coaching, all that type of stuff, right? Um, we, we always have our own work that we're doing on that front.
0: Yeah. Oh, great question. Mm. Let's see here. You know, what is my worst mindset issue? I um, could ask my family or my boyfriend and they would have their own issues, I'm sure. I mean, you know what? if I had to be honest, I still I still will go back to the piece of wanting to, to help people for free. And I think you know it's it's kind of it's a mindset issue, and it's also a great asset in the same way. And I've I've gotten a lot of places in this business because I've wanted to just help people and not expected something in return. Um, you know, you just you, I made a lot of friends that way, a lot of great contacts. Um, I've made clients through that way um, because I'm honestly here not to make money and not to be wealthy, but because I love to help people. And I want my clients to be happy. I want strangers to have that same fulfillment that my paying clients have. Um, so that's probably one of my biggest issues still is, you know, I would, I would do this for free. I shouldn't tell my clients that. Um, but I would. I just – I feel like the luckiest person in the world that I get to do this. Um, and so that's, that sometimes is still a challenge for me to feel like I get paid to do something that I love so much Um, you know, it's like being paid to go to Disney world, like it's just, it's a blast and it's kind of a dream come true. So that's kind of, that's still one for me.
1: If people remember only one thing about you from this episode, um, or about your body of work, what do, what would you want that one thing to be? (sighs)
0: Such good questions, Charlie. Um, how do you sum up everything you hope to stand for?
1: You've got one shot. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> um, I mean, you know, this is not the most eloquent way to say it, but I think it comes back to what I said earlier in terms of, you know, I don't think that I am, you know, a, a special person in the way that my life is not any more inspiring than anyone else's life. But I feel like I am here to inspire people and, you know, to bring out the best parts of them. And so that's what I love to do. That's what um, my clients tell me that I'm good at. And that's my favorite thing in the world is just to kind of work with someone and to pull out the best parts of them, um, to encourage them and support them and challenge them to be a bigger and better version of themselves than they dreamed that they could be and to see a side of them that they didn't know was possible. And that goes for my clients and also for the students that I know are going to attend Ryan Banks Academy, just hopefully adding value in that way and helping people um, to live a life they love.
1: Valerie, thanks so much for joining us on today's episode. You've been a treat to have.
0: Thank you. I had so much fun.
1: Okay, listener. So you heard it from Valerie. What can you do to step into that really rich and full life that you've got in front of you? Um, you've all have that dream. And, and go back to what she mentioned about Michael Hyatt in, in the sense of we've all got limited time. And how are you going to make the best of it? Until next time,